It's something the Biden administration has been warning about since Hamas attacked Israel in October, a widening conflict in the region. We're not looking for a war. We're not looking to expand this. Uh, uh, Houthis have uh, a choice to make, uh, and uh, they still have time to make the right choice, which is to stop these reckless attacks. That's the National Security Council's John Kirby speaking to reporters yesterday. But the violence keeps growing, especially in the Red Sea. There, with support from Iran, Houthis keep attacking commercial shipping vessels. The U.S. just designated the Houthis a terrorist organization. In a video, several armed men are jumping from a helicopter and landing on what they thought was an Israeli cargo ship in the Red Sea. The men are presumed to be Houthi rebels. Israel says the seized ship was British-owned and Japanese-operated. After dozens of attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea, American and British forces retaliated last week. On Thursday and Friday, U.S. and British missiles launched a massive assault, striking dozens of military targets. Former U.S. Ambassador to Yemen Gerald Firestein says, in his view, these strikes may play into exactly what the Houthis wanted. It raises their profile regionally. It makes them a part of the uh, A-team, if you will, in Mm. the Iranian axis of resistance. Then on Monday, Houthi rebels fired a missile at a U.S.-owned and operated container ship as it passed through the Red Sea. My colleague Jane Araf spoke with Osama Hamdan, a senior Hamas official in Lebanon, after the initial retaliation strikes by the U.S. and U.K. Here's what he said about American involvement. It will create a very important understanding in the region that... uh, uh, There is no political solutions. You have to protect yourself. Otherwise, you will be destroyed for the benefit of the Israelis. Consider this. With fighting now in Yemen, Iraq, Lebanon, and more, has the U.S. already been pulled into the regional conflict that it was trying to avoid? From NPR, I'm Ari Shapiro. It's Wednesday, January 17th. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's Consider This from NPR. Since Israel's war against Hamas began, the U.S. has tried to contain the conflict to prevent a wider regional war from breaking out. Now, with U.S. attacks against Iran-backed rebels in Yemen, drone strikes in Iraq, and fighting across Israel's northern border with Lebanon, we have to ask, is that regional conflict the U.S. wanted to avoid already here? The last three presidents have tried to shrink the U.S. footprint in the Middle East. Let's bring in Ben Rhodes to talk about this. He was Deputy National Security Advisor to President Obama. Thanks for joining us. Good talking to you, Ari. So in your view at this moment, is the U.S. already involved in a regional war in the Middle East? Yes, uh, I think that regional war is here. And if you look at what's happened since October 7th, you've seen violence break out between a variety of different groups, uh, often backed by Iran. Um, and the U.S., uh, and then, of course, Israel and Gaza. So 
I think by any definition, you would call that a regional war. Uh, by any definition, that seems like a bad thing. So how can the U.S. try to tamp this down or get out of it? Or what should the U.S. strategy even be at this point? Well, from my perspective, obviously, this started with the horrific Hamas attack on October 7th. Uh, and then you've had this really brutal uh, and massive escalation over the last several months of the Israeli military operation in Gaza. And that's really the root of this wave of escalation. And so any pathway to de-escalation, I think, necessarily has to involve de-escalation and some form of ceasefire in Gaza. So you um, think as, as long well, as Israel continues its military campaign in Gaza, this wider regional war is not going to quiet down anytime soon? Yes. And, and look, uh, that's just the logic of the situation. I mean, you, you've seen uh, the longer this war goes on, the more there's a risk of escalation as different groups try to assert themselves, are opportunistic about it. You get into tit for tat, back and forth. And look, you know, we're one uh, catastrophic event, you know, a successful attack on U.S. forces, for instance, uh, or uh, an attack on a U.S. diplomatic facility in a place like Iraq uh, from this thing really escalating. You said that some groups are being opportunistic about this. And after the U.S. and the U.K. struck those targets in Yemen last week, a Houthi official named Nasruddin Amr told my colleague Jane Arath basically like, okay, now it's on. Here's what he said. It certainly means that there will be an escalation and expansion. The American and British bear the responsibility for the escalation they brought upon us. So, Ben, is it possible that this is what the group wanted all along? Yes. And, and I think we have to be very careful about this. You know, Hamas, they're arsonists. They want the U.S. in this conflict. The Houthis, same thing. They are not afraid of this escalation. Uh, you know, the U.S. is entirely rational and right to want to protect the flow of commerce through the Red Sea. The global economy depends on that. However, you know, I get concerned when you escalate into the kind of direct strikes against the Houthis in Yemen for a couple of reasons. Uh, the Houthis, they're not going anywhere. That's where they live. That's where they're from. They've endured years and years of war and proven to be quite resilient through that. The capabilities they have are not very expensive, and they are not deterred by those strikes. As you hear in the clip, this is what they want. They want to be at the vanguard of a resistance to the United States and to Israel. But how do you avoid getting pulled into an unsolvable military objective when the Houthis seem to be deliberately provoking and saying, like, what are you going to do about it if we keep attacking these commercial ships in the Red Sea? There is a capacity, particularly if it's a foreign terrorist organization like an Al-Qaeda or an ISIS that is using somebody else's territory uh, to plan attacks and have foreign fighters there. That can be militarily dealt with and defeated. When you're dealing with uh, an indigenous population and a resistance group, an insurgent group like the Houthis or like the Taliban was in Afghanistan, that's an entirely different equation. And so to me, what you do is you try to protect the core interest of the free flow of commerce through the Red Sea. But when you start escalating into Yemen, I think it gets dangerous. As I mentioned, the last three presidents have tried to shrink the U.S. military role in the Middle East. Why do you think that is so difficult to do? Well, we have these interests uh, that keep drawing us back. We have enormous interest in oil and gas and fossil fuels, uh, despite the transition that we're undertaking. That makes us somewhat beholden uh, to some pretty unsavory Arab partners uh, in the Gulf. You're talking about Saudi Arabia, among others. Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar. Uh, then we have an interest, obviously, in our close relationship with Israel. In my view, that's much more challenging when the nature of the Israeli government is Bibi Netanyahu and the most far-right coalition were kind of tethered to a government that is not acting 
in concert with, I think, what the Biden administration would like them to be doing. Uh, and then we have, obviously, interest in counterterrorism. But I think we have to learn the lessons of the last couple of decades, which is there really aren't military solutions to these problems. And I think we have to be very careful. I don't think Israel, by the way, can solve its problems in Gaza militarily either. I think they're learning the same lesson that the United States learned painfully in multiple countries since 9-11. There has to be, I think, more of a pivot towards diplomacy, towards collective solutions, and towards marshalling resources to build something uh, instead of this pattern of destruction that we've seen in the region. You've said this is not going to end until Israel's military assault on Gaza ends, or at least diminishes. That's not up to the U.S. So if you're President Biden trying to avoid a regional war and Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu is saying, we're going to keep striking Gaza, what option does the Biden administration have? I think they have options to utilize leverage on the Israeli government to try to de-escalate the situation. And look, the Biden administration has been messaging in recent weeks that they, they are concerned that they would like to see more aid get into Gaza, that they would like to see diplomacy to try to return hostages, that they would like to see some pathway towards a Palestinian state. Bear in mind that this Israeli government actually, as a matter of policy, rejects uh, the aspiration for a Palestinian state. So to me, you have to put on the table, we're going to condition our assistance. Uh, I also think diplomatically, the United States has basically been the shield for Israel in places like the UN Security Council. You have to be very careful, but I do think the United States can can turn the dollar forward a bit. We allowed a resolution to pass calling for humanitarian pause. I think there's ways to, again, explore diplomatically how can the United States be pressing Israel in the direction of de-escalation. Obviously, they have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to go after the military wing of Hamas. But that doesn't mean that the way that they're doing it is consistent with either their own interests or America's interest. And so at a certain point, I think you have to use the leverage that you have as Israel's principal ally in the international community to say, this path isn't working. Ben Rhodes, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Obama. This episode was produced by Fatma Tanis and Karen Zamora. It was edited by Christopher Intagliata and Courtney Dorning. Our executive producer is Sammy Yenigan. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Ari Shapiro. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly, the secure AI writing partner that understands your business. With Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month.